What do we rejoice in? Uh, the things that move our hearts to rejoice will tell us a lot about the state of our heart. Uh, rejoicing shows your delight and joy in something. Uh, typically, we rejoice when things are going well for us. Uh, for instance, uh, when we get the good news of uh, the new job that we've applied for, and that we're going to have that job, or uh, when we have a, a, new, a new baby, a birth of a child. Uh, these, are, these are good things to uh, rejoice about. And I'm, I'm thankful that th- there are times that the Lord provides good uh, in life and that move us to rejoice as we give thanks to him, um, as, as he provides those, those blessings in life. But what about when things are not going your way? Uh, do, we, do we rejoice then? When we're facing trouble and trying times, I'd venture to say we find it more difficult to rejoice in those times. I know for myself, when there's a trying circumstance, that rejoicing is not necessarily the thing that comes first to my mind. We can be more interested in self-pity or complaining, there's that question of, like, what, what, what can I rejoice about in, in the face of this hardship? Um, in these past few weeks, we've seen Paul, who is facing a trial in his, in his life as he's in prison, and these other men are attempting to, to hurt him, to afflict him. Uh, and, and Paul is encouraging the church because of the advancement of the gospel in the midst of what's happening in his life. Paul is even rejoicing in the truth of the gospel being proclaimed by these men who are trying to to hurt him. And this morning, we'll see four ways in which Paul is rejoicing and leading the Philippian church to be encouraged. And this will help us examine our own hearts as we consider the things in life that we rejoice in. So if you haven't already, turn to Philippians. I'm going to read, start, start reading in verse 12, and we'll go to verse 20. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I ask that you would uh, reveal to us the things that uh, we rejoice about, and I ask that you would help us to rejoice in in the truth. 
We pray this in your name. Amen. So after telling the Philippian church that he will rejoice because of these men who are trying to hurt him, uh, uh, are, are proclaiming Christ, he makes this declaration, yes, and I will rejoice. And so before moving forward with looking at the different ways that uh, Paul is rejoicing, I, I believe it would be helpful for us to consider what biblical rejoicing through a trial looks like. Um, when this topic comes up, there's, there's a few verses that come to mind. Uh, and it's, it's always, I always love to see how Sunday school and the sermon match together. Uh, it's just a blessing to see the Lord working in that way. And so one of these common verses that we, that we look to is James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another one of these verses, 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does, what does all this mean? Uh, we see Paul saying that he will rejoice. And we have James saying we should count it all joy when we face trials. And we see Peter also talking about rejoicing in various trials. Um, biblical rejoicing through trials does not mean that we must feel happy about the trial we are facing. Uh, and this is important to hear. Uh, sometimes we can think that when a trial comes into our life that we need to feel happy about it. Um, that this teaching to rejoice is, is a command to, to be happy. Um, however, in, in the first Peter verse I just read, he says, you have been grieved by various trials. Trials bring about real heartache and real grief. Scripture acknowledges this fact that we grieve through trials that we face. Scripture is not commanding you to, to feel happy during your suffering. While Scripture does not command you to, to feel happy in the trial, Scripture does show us that it is possible to rejoice even while we're grieving. Um, and this is, a, this is a blessing to see that it's possible to rejoice while, while being grieved. Uh, rejoicing and grieving are not mutually exclusive. Even though the, the people Peter is talking to are, are being grieved by their trials, they can rejoice in what he said directly before. Uh, and so, First uh, Peter 1, 6, it, it begins with the words, in this you rejoice. So what is the, the in this? It's there. Uh, if you look at verse 3, it says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In our trials, we can rejoice in the salvation and the hope that we have in Christ. We rejoice in the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is the foundation of our rejoicing. The good news of the gospel surpasses all other good news. And and so when we face trials of of many different kinds, um, and we are grieved by the pain that those trials bring, we can still rejoice in the fact that, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that Jesus accomplished salvation for sinners, that there is eternal life for those who repent and believe. Uh, we can rejoice in that. And as we rejoice in, in this truth, even as we face trials, we, we grow in, in steadfastness in the truth. We become anchored in the truth of the gospel so that we're not swayed by the trials that we face in life, but rather hold fast to the truth of the good news. Another example of the fact that we're not commanded to to feel happy uh, during trials comes in in John's gospel. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 35, uh, is a profound uh, verse, and and it's a great example of this fact. It says says Jesus wept. Many of us, we we know this verse as, as the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's much more than that. This verse comes in the context of of Jesus experiencing the death of uh, his friend, Lazarus. And Lazarus had been sick and is now buried for for several days. And they take Jesus to the tomb where Lazarus is laid and and Jesus weeps. When scripture speaks of rejoicing in trials, it's not talking about feeling happy because of the trial, or even feeling happy in the trial. It's okay to grieve. It's nice when we can rejoice and feel happy at the same time. It's a great blessing when that happens, but it's also possible to rejoice even in times of pain and grief. And this truth is also encouraging as well. Happiness is a feeling, while biblical rejoicing comes from the knowledge of the truth. And happiness is, is fleeting. And you, all, you all know this. Uh, happiness can come and go. Uh, our, our feelings can sway quickly. You can be happy and mad all in the same day. But the gospel doesn't change. The good news of the gospel is always true and always remains the same. Our Rejoicing comes from the knowledge of the truth. Look again at the, at the end of Philippians 1.18 and at the beginning of verse 19. It says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know. Biblical rejoicing through trials means we can rejoice in the knowledge of the truth. We can rejoice because we know. Knowledge of the truth should lead the Christian to rejoice. And we saw this even in, in the verse in James that I read uh, before. And I'll read it again. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can rejoice in trials because of our knowledge of the truth, and because we know that the trials that we face produce steadfastness in the truth. And this goes back to the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. Paul prayed that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. As they grow in the knowledge of God, it moves them to give glory and praise to God, which is to be rejoicing in the truth. As we grow in love with the Lord and in the knowledge of the Lord, our lives become more and more defined by rejoicing in the Lord, even in spite of our circumstances. And those circumstances can be painful. Uh, but isn't this a great encouragement that we, we know the truth of the gospel, and the truth of the gospel can be a comfort and something worthy about rejoicing about, even in the midst of hardship. So we rejoice when life is going well and give thanks for the joys that the Lord provides us in this life. And we rejoice when life is difficult. And as we thank God for the joys the Lord provides us in the life to come. When we, uh, uh, when we ascribe glory and praise to God, we're rejoicing in the truth and this is what love does. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, it, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And this is the truth. God is who he said he is. He has done uh, what he said he has done. Christ accomplished salvation for, for sinners who repent and believe. And this truth that, that Jesus Christ shed his blood in payment for sin so that you and I don't need to shed our blood for payment of sin. This truth we can rejoice in. Our debts have been paid. Our, our hope is not in what we can do or what we can offer the Lord, which is a blessing because what we do falls short. Our hope is in the Lord, and we can rejoice in that. This is a reason why growth in the knowledge of the truth is so important. The knowledge of the truth moves us to rejoice, even as we face trials and, and sufferings that, that grieve us. The knowledge of the truth prepares us for suffering. And this is why Paul and Silas are, are able to pray and sing hymns to God after they've been stripped and, and beaten and thrown in prison in, in Acts 16. They have knowledge of the truth. And so when pain and suffering comes, they run to the Lord in prayer and worship because they know. They know the reason to rejoice even in their suffering. Which brings us back to Philippians 1. Uh, so here are the, the four reasons I found. I see Paul rejoicing as he encourages the Philippian church. Uh, and these will also be helpful for us as we as we also rejoice in the knowledge of the truth. So first, uh, rejoice in the knowledge of the prayers of, of fellow Christians. So Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that your prayers... We'll stop right there. The church is, 
is praying for Paul, and he's rejoicing in in that truth. Eventually, we see that Paul believes this will lead to his deliverance, uh, but we need to make sure we do not lose sight of the fact that Paul is rejoicing in the prayers of the church that are for him. Prayer can easily be neglected in, in the Christian walk, and I want to encourage you to, to pray. Uh, your Heavenly Father desires for you to pray, and uh, we're commanded to pray. Um, uh, reading through the, the Donald Whitney book with some of the men, and in his book about spiritual disciplines, um, he makes a, a good observation that it's assumed that the Christian would have a life of prayer. In Matthew 6, and starting in verse 7, we hear this. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. At the beginning of this teaching about prayer, Jesus says, and, and when you pray. Uh, so there's an assumption that prayer will be a, a part of life. And this is an incredible blessing. Uh, we're able to, to speak to God in our prayers, and he hears you. Um, Ponder that truth for a moment. Uh, the Almighty God, infinite and, and awesome, is able to hear your prayers. It's incredible. First uh, Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. True prayer shows a, shows a humble heart. Godly prayer is based upon the goodness and glory of God and also has a, a correct view of, of self. And then this is why the, the godly prayers they do. Praising the name of, of God, asking that God's will would be done, uh, asking for, for daily needs and, and forgiveness. This prayer shows our dependence upon God rather than a dependence upon ourselves. There's another example in, in Luke 18 of a of, of Pharisee praying in the streets, thanking God that he is not like this other man, this other sinner. That, that is not a, a godly prayer. That's a self-glorifying prayer. It's proud, not humble. Um, we cannot do anything truly worthwhile apart from the Lord. Just like the branches cannot produce any fruit apart from the vine. There is a humble heart in, in prayer. In the Philippian church, they, they know they don't have the authority to deliver Paul. Uh, they know that they don't have the power to deliver Paul. But they do know the one who does. Who does have the power and authority to bring about Deliverance for Paul, and, and that's the Lord. And so they pray for Paul, and Paul rejoices in this. I encourage you to, to pray for each other, and uh, when you know of people praying for you, 
rejoice in that fact. It's a, it's a blessing to, to be part of the family of God. Secondly, rejoice in the knowledge of the help of the Holy Spirit. So again, it says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I keep stopping before the end of the sentence, but uh, before we get there, this is another amazing truth about the Spirit. He is a help. The Holy Spirit is a, is a help to Paul. So how does the Holy Spirit help Paul? Well, Paul tells us. So let's continue reading. So, in the help of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as, my, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see how the Holy Spirit helps Paul? So we see deliverance, which we're going to look at more in depth next, so hold on to that thought. But uh, We also see Paul has eager expectation and hope that he will not be ashamed and that he will be full of courage. The Holy Spirit provides believers with ultimate hope. We, we can have sure knowledge of this fact. Listen to Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you believe in Jesus, this truth is for you. Our hope is in Christ, and the Lord has provided the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And this hope that Paul has in the Lord leads him to know that he will not be ashamed and that he will be full of courage. We see more of Paul's understanding of of shame at the end of of Romans chapter 9. At the end of Romans 9, starting in verse 30, it says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling, a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This stumbling block, this rock of offense is, is Christ. And there's, there are those who stumble over Christ, but those who believe in him will not be put to shame. Instead of being put to shame, those who believe in Jesus receive life. And because of our hope is in the Lord, there isn't anything that the, that the world can offer us. Uh, we, we can have 
courage in whatever it is that we face. Having our courage in the Lord and knowing that it's him who provides salvation. Our hope and courage comes from, from God and all that, we, that, all that he has done on our behalf. And, and we're able to live this hope and courage out in our life because of the help of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible truth that the Holy Spirit helps us. That the God of the universe resides in the believer and provides us with with help as we live life. We can rejoice in this truth today. Third, rejoice in the knowledge of deliverance. So what is the deliverance that Paul is speaking of here? I believe there's, there's two types of deliverance that are being brought up here. Deliverance from prison and ultimate deliverance in Christ. Uh, this twofold deliverance is, is emphasized by the point he makes at the end of verse 20. He says, whether by life or by death. Uh, what he means by deliverance by life is that he would not be put to death, that he would continue to live uh, an, an earthly deliverance from, from prison. And we see in the coming weeks that he believes that this is going to be the case. However, he also sees the possibility of his death as well. We can rejoice in the fact that God is working in our lives here and now as we live. It is not as if God is distant and is just waiting for us to die so that we can come to heaven. The Lord is working in us in our circumstances today. God answers prayers and the Holy Spirit is working in us as we live now. Paul says that it is through the prayers of the church and the help of the Spirit that will turn out for his deliverance. This is, this is quite the statement, if, if you think about it. Uh, it's a radical statement in our culture. Paul is actually suggesting that praying does something. This is contrary to what the world would say. Uh, the world scoffs at people who pray because they don't, they don't believe prayer does anything. Uh, the world does not believe in the God of the Bible who listens to and answers prayer. Uh, but Paul says here that it is through the prayers and the help of the Spirit that will bring his deliverance. Uh, prayer can be powerful and effective. Um, sometimes, if we're honest, and that includes me, we, we, we can forget about the, the genuine usefulness of prayer. Uh, we can forget that prayer is, in fact, effective. Um, prayer is not just a nice thing to, to say uh, to someone or for someone. Prayer is speaking to the Lord, uh, the God of heaven and earth, and, and he listens to our prayers, and he, and he answers our prayers. Prayer is... Effective because it is God who answers them. And God is completely powerful and completely in control. Don't be fooled by the world. Prayer is important. Um, Here's a a quick example of God answering a prayer in an an extraordinary way. Uh, Acts 12 has this incredible account 
of God answering prayer. Herod had just killed James, the the brother of John, uh, and he sees that this pleases the people. And so he arrests Peter as well and puts Peter in prison. And Acts 12, 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the church is in fervent prayer for Peter. And God sends an angel to guide Peter out of, out of the jail. The angel eventually leaves Peter after leading him to safety. And Peter goes to the house of, of Mary and he, he knocks on the door. And the people are, are still there praying. Um, and a, a girl named Rhoda answers the door and is excited to, to see that it's Peter, that it's him. Uh, and she goes and, and tells everyone who's inside, but they don't, they don't believe her because that'd be crazy, right? Uh, they've just been praying for him because he's in jail. How could he be at the front door? Um, but it turns out the girl was telling the truth. God answered their prayers for Peter. God is powerful to answer prayer. And we, we receive what we pray for if what we pray for falls within the will of God. And at this instance, the, the deliverance of, of Peter from prison was within the will of God. In, in speaking of, of prayer, it's important to note that what we, what we want does not always line up with the Lord and what he's working out in, in our life. God answers our prayers, but it is not necessarily always in the way that we think he should answer them. Uh, Prayer is powerful and effective, but prayer is not a means of simply getting what we want. Um, That is to have a very low view of prayer and and a low view of God. In prayer, we we confess to God our sin. Uh, We we praise God for his character and and works. Uh, We consider our our dependence upon him. Um, Thank him for, for who he is and what he's done. We cast our, our burdens and cares upon him. We can ask for provision. And as we pray more and more, we'll grow more in love with God and, and pray more in line with, with his word. The second deliverance that, that Paul speaks of is the ultimate deliverance that he has in Christ. Um, Paul knows that there is a possibility of his death. Uh, but even in death he would find deliverance. This is because Jesus has delivered those who believe in him from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. Sinners, us, we deserve to be delivered to judgment and death. That is the kind of deliverance we deserved. A deliverance to judgment. But Christ, in his love for sinners, was delivered to death in our place for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up to death in order that we would be delivered to life. And this reality is is close to Paul as he considers the the possibility of of death on on the horizon. Um, Even if he were to die, he would have the deliverance that comes in death for the Christian. 
to be with Christ. And so Paul rejoices in the fact that he will be delivered, whether that is to stay alive here and, and now, or if it is to, to die and be with Christ. And so if, if you are saved, you can rejoice in this truth as well. Which brings me to the, the last uh, and fourth point. Fourth, rejoice in the opportunity to honor God in life or death. The, the Lord will be honored in Paul's body by his life or his death. He has this assurance and rejoices in this fact because of the prayers of the church and the help of the Holy Spirit. And did you notice that, that Paul mentions Christ being honored in his body? Again, this is contrary to the way of the world. Um, the, the world views our bodies as a means to honor ourselves, uh, not as a means to honor God. But our, our bodies are to be living sacrifices to God. The way we live our life, the way we conduct ourselves with our body is worship. And we will worship God, or we will worship something else. The Christian life is not separate from our body, but encompasses our whole being, our whole manner of life. God created mankind to be both physical and spiritual, and these two areas of life work together. The way that we use our bodies is a spiritual act of worship. And this is made very evident in, in Romans. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the way that we live uh, with our physical bodies is a spiritual act. And it is possible to live and use our bodies in a dishonorable way. Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And this is the way of the world, to use our God-given bodies in a dishonorable way. But because of the help Paul receives from the prayers of the church and, and from the Holy Spirit, he has courage that Christ will be honored in his body. And this honor comes from obedience, a faithfulness, steadfastness in his confession that Christ is Lord to the very end. And so even if he is put to death, Christ is honored. And throughout all of this, we see Paul rejoicing in knowledge. And not just any knowledge, but knowledge that is founded upon the gospel. Are you able to rejoice in the knowledge of the truth? The good news is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners by dying in their place, and he rose from the grave, providing new life, resurrection for those who repent and believe. We can rejoice in this knowledge, this truth. And as we rejoice in the knowledge of the gospel, we're led to pray for each other. To pray that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and, and all discernment. 
that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless at the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We rejoice because we know that the Holy Spirit helps us in our need. If you are saved, you're not left alone. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you to to will and act according to his good purpose. You have the power of God to resist temptation, to say no to sin and say yes to obedience to God. And the Spirit helps us with that. We rejoice because we know that ultimate deliverance is given to those who are in Christ. We, we deserve to be delivered unto death, but God delivered us to life in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We rejoice because God can be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death, because God has given his people a new heart to live for him rather than for sin. And when we pass away, we'll be with Christ. In, in light of all of this, it's important to, to ask this question, what are the things that we rejoice in? The, the things we rejoice in will expose our heart. And I want to encourage you to remember to rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for for you, the knowledge of uh, the truth of what you've done, then we can rejoice in, in the truth of the gospel and no matter what it is that we're facing in life, whether it's uh, the good things that we find joy and happiness in, uh, as we experience those things, we can rejoice in the truth of the gospel. And even when we face trials of various kinds that are suffering and are, bring us to grief, we thank you and praise you that even in the midst of those painful and difficult times that we can still rejoice in the truth of the gospel. I ask that as we go out from this morning that we would be people who rejoice, that we would remember the truth of the gospel and rejoice in that as we worship you. Amen.